0: You know, um, we, we, I grew up with an older brother and two younger sisters and an old farmhand dad, so we could be somewhat sharp with our tongues at, on an occasion, and, and I got to tell you, my mom was much more tuned into and alert to the damage that that can do to our relationships and kind of calling us back from the brink on a number of occasions. So in my mind, it's very fitting today. My mom's been gone and with the Lord for about five years now, a little over five years. I think it's really fitting for us to be talking about how we use our words today as we go through the book of James. I'd love for you to grab a Bible. And turn to the book of James with me. If you didn't bring one with you, that's fine. We some ways anticipate that. There should be a Bible written underneath your chair or the chair in front of you. And the book of James starts on page 1024. And we're going to be in James chapter 3 today. But let me try to kind of pull some of the pieces together that we're looking at, right? We, we have been looking at the book of James for this particular purpose. We just celebrated Easter, Right? Easter opens up a whole world of new possibilities for us. Jesus is alive, life can be different, the power of God's available to us, all those kinds of things. And with that, what type of faith, what is the real faith that allows us to actually begin to live out all of that stuff? So we've been looking at the book of James to try to discover to discern what real faith is, not some notion that we might have, some warm fuzzy, but what is a real kind of faith that allows us to experience the power, God's resurrection power in our own lives. And, and the very first thing we saw in chapter 1 was that we have to understand and embrace life as something that's designed to build up our faith, not tear it down. Now James isn't saying that means life's going to be easy. In fact, he says it's going to be hard. You're going to have trials, but you should consider that joy because those trials are a moment of opportunity for you. Are you going to engage those in such a way that your faith is strengthened or are you going to engage those in such a way where your faith is destroyed? And it's as we navigate everyday life, it's whether or not our faith becomes real and matures to get us to a place where we are experiencing true and undefiled religion, faith, or whether we're going to let it be transformed in something that really isn't faith. And then he turned a corner on us in James chapter 2, where he introduced us to a couple of hybrid words that are critical for us to be people who really live out real faith. And those hybrid words are words that we're pretty familiar with. Those hybrid words are the words love, and they are the words faith. You know, he and when I use the word hybrid, what James is trying to say to us is that, When we think of faith in our lives, when we think of love as we're supposed to pursue it and living out the royal law of love, of loving your neighbor like yourself, we need to be looking at those terms as hybrids. They are not just nouns, they are also verbs. We have faith in a in God, we have a certain set of beliefs, a doctrine that we believe, that Jesus is God's Son. He came down out of, out of heaven. He lived a perfect life, born of a virgin, you know, died on a cross, was resurrected on the third. We have content. We have noun to our faith, but our faith also has to be a verb. It has to work itself out. And that's same true with love. Love is something we have. We can can be a feeling that we possess. But it's also designed to be a verb. It's not just for us to say to somebody who's in need, right? Hey, I love you. I'm going to pray for you. Wish you all the best, etc. And then you just, but it's designed to be a verb where you actually meet the needs that they have, right? And, he, and so he says, and if you really need a window as to where your heart is in this journey of faith and love as both nouns and verbs, he says, just take a look at the way you size up people. You're sizing up people with a worldly mechanism, he calls it favoritism, where the rich guy with the rings and the cars and all that kind of stuff, you put him on the front row and you make sure he gets really loved on, and the poor guy, you just say, hey, find a seat in the back. We might get to you later. If that's the way you're sizing up people, then that's giving you a window that your love and your faith are not being the hybrids they're supposed to be in your life. But then he turns to a subject that is dear to his heart, one that is sprinkled through the entire book. And that is the way we use our words. Because James is critically appreciative. I mean, just acutely appreciative of the fact that our words have a power to build up our faith or to tear them down. And that our words have the ability to build up somebody else's faith or to tear them down. And so he comes back to a topic that he's visited many times before in our book and one he's going to return to. In fact, I want to highlight some stuff before we get to James chapter 3. So that's why I had you open to James chapter 1 on page 1024 in your Bibles. Look at verse 26. So this is not a new concept for him, right? He's, he actually is going to talk about how we use our words in every single chapter of the book. But in the middle of what we're going to look at today, James chapter 3, this, this hump chapter, if you will, to get over to chapters 4 and 5, we are going to encounter the longest teaching in the Bible on the power of words, more so than Proverbs anywhere else. We're going to look at this. So he starts out by this. Look at verse 26 of chapter 1. If anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, right, then his religious is useless and deceives himself. He says, our faith must get us to a place where we bite our tongues, uh, where we learn how to control our tongues, right? We learn how to not say stuff as we go forward. You get over into chapter 2, and you look at verse 12, and it says, he says, speak and act, speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. You need to be people... We need to be people, in the way that we use our mouths, we need to be people who are conscious of the fact that God holds us accountable for the way we use our words. It's not like it's just throwaway stuff, but it matters to God, right? How we use our words matters to God. So we need to speak and act as people who are conscious of the fact that what we do matters to God. Over in chapter 4, Right, You get to verse 11, and he says, don't use your words to criticize one another's brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. And, And so he's saying, you shouldn't be using your words to tear people down. Right? You shouldn't be using your words to rip people apart. That doesn't mean you never speak a word that might be painful to somebody else. But if your motive and your intent and your follow-through is not to build them up, but instead is to tear them down, then you're misusing your words. Chapter 5. He speaks, as you get into verse 12 and following, he talks about the fact that we need to have integrity with our words. We need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And we need to use our words not to tear each other down, but to confess our sin to one another. We need to use our words to pray for one another and to ask other people to pray for us. And he goes into all of this. But in the middle of it, we have this, this capstone of the teaching of the Bible on our tongue, on, on the way we use our words. So here's what I want to do. I mean, this is a pretty heavy message for Mother's Day, right? And. And and there's a couple things. I want us to process this text today, because I think this is James' intent, for us to be encouraged, for us to leave this place today knowing that there is a challenge for us in the way we use our words, but that if we use our words appropriately, they can be a tremendous blessing, and that there is a way for us to do that because God's ready to give us wisdom. Let's just read through James chapter 3 together, if you will. Because first of all, you, you know, hearing from God is far better than hearing from me. He starts off by saying, not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who is able to control his whole body. So James is, is not discouraging people from being teachers. But he says if if God's calling you to be a teacher, you better let your character be shaped into who into the role you're supposed to play because you teach with words, right? And if you don't teach with integrity, in other words, that your life backs up what you say, right? Then 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 you're not going to really have any impact on other people's lives. And so what he says, don't don't in this case Not a lot of you should run to being teachers as though this is an easy thing to do, because I got to tell you, the area in our lives where we stumble the most is in the use of our words. Did you know the average person today speaks 16,000 words a day, right? Now, some of you are thinking, not my spouse. Right? I get 12, 12 words a day. So I don't know who's getting the other, you know, 115,000, whatever, you know? I mean, it, it, that kind of idea. But, but on average, studies show that people speak 16,000 words a day. Do you know what I hear when I, when I read that? I have 16,000 opportunities a day to stick my foot in my mouth. And you guys in that same place? I mean, it's just, this is a place for us to stumble. And that's why James says, man, if you get to a place where, where it's coming out of your mouth, as it reflects what's in your heart, and it's not some place where you're coming up short in God's eyes, man, you have arrived at spiritual maturity. Uh. Now, I think most of would say we got some. Room. We definitely think the person sitting next to us has got some room to grow in this area. So James is going to go on with his teaching. He's challenging us in this, right? He says now, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we also guide the whole animal. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is, is placed among the parts of our body. It pollutes. Some of you have the idea it's po- poisons. it poisons. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. Every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man. I always think of the orcas that I see at SeaWorld, right? These massive animals, and they can teach them to hit balloons and jump. and oh, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing, right, that they, can, they train them to do these things. Every sea creature, every reptile, every bird or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man. But no man, no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. We praise our Lord and our Father with it, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. Praising and cursing, coming out of the same mouth. My brothers, in case there's any doubt, this is my, my brothers, these things should not be. They should not be this way. It's James saying to us in very clear time cut it out. Stop. You know, if you think you're going to, Proclaim the gospel, how much God loves you, and you're going to turn around the next day and criticize and tear down. He says, stop it. These things shouldn't be true. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. So who is wise? And has understanding among you. In other words, who, who's gotten to the point where they're actually doing this the way God wants it? He should show his works by good t- conduct, with wisdom, gentleness. But he says, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and, and demonic. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving. It's gentle. It's compliant. It's full of mercy. Ah, motherhood. There we go. Compliant. Full of mercy and good fruits. Without favoritism, and hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So here's, I just want to make several points bringing out the meat of what James is trying to share with us and to do so in a way that encourages us. And here's the really first thing I want you to get. Our words can be a powerful force for good. Our words can be a tremendous resource of blessing our words can do a lot to change our lives and change the lives of other people. He uses two examples here, right? First of all, he uses the bit that we put in the horse of a mouth, uh, put in the horse's mouth, right? And then he uses the rudder that's on the end of a ship, right? And, you know, and the, the average horse today can grow almost close to 2,000 pounds, almost a full ton, Right and, and when I was a kid and, and gone several times as an adult, we used to go to the Deerfield Fair, Deerfield State Fair up in Deerfield, New Hampshire, almost every year. We, we, the family had a cabin in Deerfield. And so at the end of September, they always had this big field fair. quarter of a million people go through there over the course of four days. It's one of the largest fairs in New England. And they would have, and I'll try to say it the way they would say it, they, they have a hospital a half-pulling contest, right? You know, and and so they, they had this whole gate. In fact, one time that the, the horses, they were so strong, they actually broke the chain between their harness and the weight they were trying to pull. And because they were pulling with such force, they went right through the fence and killed a couple of people who were on the outside of the fence. So you come back the next year, they had raised the seats all up six feet in the air. So the horses would be down below, right? I mean, these animals, you know with just a bit in their mouth, could pull thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds, all this power directed through a two-pound bit stuck in its mouth. And he's saying, your words are like that bit in a horse's mouth. All the power that you have in your life to unleash it for godly good and for a blessing in people's lives, you can unleash all of that with your mouth. Same with a rudder on a ship, right? You know, they didn't have super tankers and huge freighters, you know. We, we, Christina and I, okay, now that we've switched over to YouTube TV and cut the cable, we've been watching this on occasion, this show called Mighty Ships, right? And we looked at one the other day, and, and this ship could hold 19,000 scene-lean trailers at the same time. They had 11 layers of, tra- of uh, containers below deck, And then they'd put the more volatile stuff above deck. I mean, you know, talking about just, you know, incredible ships, right? 200 feet wide, you know, 1,300 feet long, massive ships. And they control all of that with just a rudder. Now, it may be a huge rudder, right? Some of these rudders on these ships go 10,000 pounds. But when you compare it to the ship, it's less than one-tenth of 1%. And they guide that thing with just that rudder. Now, some of them cheat and they got side thrusters and all that kind of stuff when they get into port. And, but when they're, it's, it's, it's amazing what they do with it. He says, Man, you have the ability with your tongue to guide your life in a way that can be a tremendous blessing or it can be a train wreck, right? And so he said, So think of the tongue, it's in our mouths, right? In our mouths, I wonder if there's any significance to the fact that usually people start walking before they start talking. Maybe that's a symptom to God is saying, you know, this is one of those things you should take a while to master, right? Because it has such great power. And that's exactly what he says. Verse 5, so to the tongue, it's a small part of the body, right? Small part of the body, right? But it can, but it can boast great things. Your tongue can revolutionize everything that's going on in our lives. It can unleash great power. But then he reminds us it can unleash great harm. Right? So he says, I want you to stop for a minute and think about a forest fire. How much does it really take to get a forest fire going? You know, I've heard reports of huge forest fires that burned down thousands and thousands of acres started because somebody put away a cigarette carelessly, right? A few years ago here in town, there was a guy who was burning in his yard, not doing anything he wasn't allowed to do. His ashes carried to his neighbor's barn a couple of lots over. Just those ashes started the barn on fire, burned the whole thing down. Our words have this incredible power right? And then, and then, really, in my terminology, James tries to scare the snot out of us about our mouths, right? Just listen to what he says here, all right? You didn't think you were going to hear the word snot from the pulpit this morning, but here we go. Look at verse six. The tongue's a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, right? He says, placed among the parts of our body. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, right? And is set on fire by hell. What he's saying here: your words can destroy your life. There are people who have lost marriages, lost families, lost friends, lost their careers simply by what they said. Just by the words that comes out of their mouths. I mean, I, you know, I, I've I've sat in marriage counseling appointments with people and. And, and, and they recognize things that they need to change, and then they don't go out and change them. And what they're simply communicating through their words is, I'm willing to say anything, but you can't trust me to do what I said. And it destroys their marriage. It's not just heartful stuff that you say to people, because we got plenty of that, right? I mean, I, I, I share with the first service, I, I remember a time very vividly. Here at Hope, we were in the final stages of trying to get all the insulation in the building, so we get the sheetrock up and kind of move towards completion of the facility. And we were here working late one night. We were really rushing to get a lot of stuff done, and and just kind of in the whole energy of that stuff, I, I just didn't really think about what I was saying. And and in the midst of that, we were crawling around the rafters, and there was an area that we missed. And 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 I. There wasn't any intention to inflict any harm, but, but somehow or another, the words that came out of my mouth pointed out were intended to point out to this other person that they had missed this area and they had kind of moved on from it. And they were really hurt by that. And they approached me afterwards, to their credit and with their character, but I got to tell you, the relationship would never seem to be the same after that. Our words have tremendous power to do good or to tear down. You know, there's a scenario going on right now in, in, our, in, our, in Christian ministry, if you will, where this guy, I mean, he's a tremendous preacher, growing a great church. You know, people will fill a cruise ship to go so they can hear him teach on a daily basis, that kind of stuff. And, and yet, he got recorded in a moment of frustration saying some things he really shouldn't, and he lost his ministry. And it's done. The power of words to totally mess up our lives, right? And how many of us wake up in the morning, this is free of charge, make up in the morning and say, Lord, keep me from being stupid with my mouth today. That should be, you should put that on your bathroom mirror, you know. You know, many times when I walk in this building on a Sunday, uh, uh, during the week, I, the prayer that comes out of my mouth and is, Lord, keep me from screwing it up, right? And that relates to our mouths, right? And, and, and so, your mouth has this incredible capacity to create a mess, and can destroy things that really matter to you. And so then James takes the next step and says, and guys, that's what's happening. There are a lot of us who are saying, man, I love Jesus. And yet there's a lot of words coming out of our mouths that aren't full of love. And he would call that hypocrisy, right? That's what he says down. He says, man, you know, he says, here you are. You're saying you're a follower of Jesus, but what's coming out of your mouth is this deadly poison. You're, you're praising the Lord and the Father, but, you know, uh, and that kind of thing. And you're lifting up these great songs. You're saying victory in Jesus. And then you know, over here, you're just ripping people apart with your tongues for whatever reasons. Sometimes because you want to get ahead or because you're angry at them, or sometimes you just want to tear them down. And, and he says, that's hypocrisy. And, and he tries to just, clear, says, man, if, if you're a grapevine, why are you producing figs, right? If you've got the love of God in your heart, why is all this vile stuff coming out of you, right? You know, and he goes, and he says, and, and, and he uses the idea of, of, of the, the well that has fresh water and salt water and sweet and bitter. And I think, would you go get a drink out of the same pipe that your sewerage comes out of? I mean, that's the imagery he's using, right? You know, you, you, you know, flush the toilet, goes out of the same pipe, and you go out there with your cup and try to get the water out of the same pipe. Most of us would say, uh-uh, right? I, I ain't doing that, and rightfully so, right? And, and he says, but man, if, if you think <laughs> you can take your mouth and spew out good stuff and bad stuff, and it's not going to make people sick, you're not near as smart as you think you are. And he said, so we need to recognize that our words have the ability to really do great things. And they can also really mess things up. And we need to be honest enough to, uh, with the fact that our words are coming out right on occasion, but there's a lot of stuff that's not coming out right. Stuff that's not a blessing, but a curse. It's not a grape. It's a fig, right? And those kinds of ideas. So, so how do you fix that? What's the solution? It was interesting that after the first service, somebody came to me and said, man, are you going to do a, next, a sermon next week on how to control the tongue? Right? It's like, a, you know, I know I got a problem, so how do I fix it? And, and James doesn't give you a strategy. You know, and I'm not saying there aren't some good strategies out there. Take a deep breath. Count to 10. Think about what you're going to say. There's some great strategies out there, right? Go Anger management classes, the whole nine yards, that kind of stuff. That's not what he says. He says, you've got to want it. And as you want it, that means you're going to be looking for wisdom in the right place. You're going to be looking for wisdom that comes from above, not the wisdom that's all around us. Look at verse 13 and following, right? He said, now... You, you want to be teachers. You want to be in a position to influence people to take steps towards God. I'm hoping all of us in some ways want that to be. It says, so who's the wise one among you? It's not the one, verse 14, who has bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart. You, 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 you don't have this idea that I think they're getting more than they deserve and I'm getting less than I deserve. And it's not just about a self you kind of getting above, and 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 that kind of, You shouldn't deny that stuff's going on in your heart. You should face it up frontly and recognize that it's earthly. That means it's not eternal. It's just temporal. It's unspiritual. God doesn't have anything to do with it, and it's demonic. It's going to take you in a place you don't want to go. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. So he says, if you look. At the impact your words are having on your life, and it's creating disorder and hardship and brokenness and all that kind of stuff, realize that that's not coming out of the right heart, right? He says, for there's envy and selfish ambition, that's where you're going to have disorder. And have he said, but listen to this there is a wisdom from above. That wisdom is pure. It's peace loving, it's gentle, it's compliant, it means it really does its best to fit in when it can, and without compromising conviction, we try to fit in. It doesn't have to be their way, they try to be compliant, it's full of mercy and good fruits, it doesn't show favoritism, and it doesn't have hypocrisy in it. And this is what James says. If you want to be have the kind of faith where what comes out of your mouth fuels the life that God's trying to give you rather than snatching it away from you. you got to be people who reach out for God's wisdom to change the way you use your words. Make sense? Easy? Yeah, right. You know, I mean, we have all kinds of proverbs, right? And I'm kind of freelancing here, just a little bit at the end, you know. But I get this idea that you know sometimes our words can be very short, but they have this ability to echo forever. Do you know what I mean? We can say something we didn't ah, just to throw away, and it can echo forever in somebody's life for good or for bad. You know, I I was t- told the first service when when um after my first year of seminary, Christina and I came back to, to Massachusetts to home to, to get married. And so that, that summer, they assigned me to do some internships in ministry. And one of the assignments I got was to be the interim pastor of the First Baptist Church of Chelsea, which really sounds pretty, pretty cool, in the city, that kind of stuff. It was like eight people and 50 children, right? So it was like, one of these things was like everybody wanted to get rid of their kids on Sunday morning, so they could go out to breakfast and then they come back and pick them up at later, right? And and so, and but we had this Bible study in the middle of the week with the with with the eight adults that we had. And I remember, you know, we're we're sitting, we're 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 finished up our Bible study and we're having a just a general prayer time at the end. You know, and so it was the idea we're all right, we're gonna pray, kind of going around a circle. If you don't want to pray, just tap the person next to you and and they'll pray or whatever. And we get started going around, right? And we get to this young woman, she's like 20 years old, very new in her faith, and and she doesn't tap the person next to her. She just says right out loud for everybody to say, I don't know how to talk to God. I don't know how to pray, is what she said. I don't know how to pray. So here, I got a year of seminary underneath my belt, right? So I got these deep, satisfying, theological answers for her. So without lifting my head, without opening my eyes, I simply said, just open your mouth and talk to God. I mean, and, and she started to. And, and, and I don't remember exactly what she prayed, but I remember it, it felt really real. Does that make sense? And and you think, all right, you know, so I'm going home, you know, thinking, all right, how could I handle that better? What do I want to say next time? I'm, I'm thinking about all this stuff, right? A decade later, I get a letter from this young woman, and she says, you know, it was in that moment that I really felt empowered to start growing in Christ by that simple phrase of just open your mouth and talk to God. Short, echoes. That can happen on the other side as well, right? And and our words don't cost us a lot, but that means that doesn't mean they don't have a price. <laughs> right? And and hear the heart of James. He doesn't want us to leave any of the goodness that God wants to pour into our lives because of the resurrected Christ. And he says, Man, if you're gonna do that. You really got to watch what's going on with your mouth because your mouth is showing you what's in your heart because it's out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks, Jesus taught. And there is a challenge, but there's a solution, and that's the wisdom from above. And my privilege today is to invite all of you to seek the wisdom from above so that your words, to use his terminology of, of the last verse of the chapter, so that your words can bring peace in your life and the peace of the, in the lives of those who are around you. Let's pray together for just a minute. God, I thank you for the power of word because it's in the power of words that you showed us that you've loved us and we can fully understand what it means that Jesus died on the cross for us and makes it possible for us to live a new life. Father, I think I, 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 I am correct in saying that I think I represent all of us this morning and saying, I need to do better with my words. There are things that I say that I shouldn't say. There are things that I don't say that I should say. And there's things I should say a lot more of. God, I'm grateful that you are eager to give us the wisdom that is above, from above. So that peace, that gentleness that humility, that grace, that understanding, that ability to bring peace in ourselves and with everyone else would be within our grasp. God, thank you for the power of word. Let the words that you've spoken to us today have power in us. For I prayed in Jesus' name, amen.